0: Hey guys, a few quick announcements. Uh, I'm happy to say that the Just Hands home game was awesome. Uh, You can find it on on PokerOnAir's Twitch channel, or just use the link in the show notes. We're going to be creating some videos where Zach, Peter uh, from the Just Hands stream, and myself review hands from the game, and we'll have more info on those next week. Uh, The next announcement, Zach and I wanted to announce a contest for our listeners. Zach and I are on the hunt for some more great hand histories for the show and for the blog. And we know you guys have them. So if you send us a hand history in the next week, you'll be entered for a chance at a prize. Uh, We'll be selecting the winners based on the most interesting and thought-provoking hand histories we receive. So what's the prize? Our top two hands will each get a chance to come on the show and discuss the hand uh, with Zach and I. And our first place winner will also receive a seat at our event with Greg Raymer, on November twelfth in Akron, Ohio. So to send us a hand history for the contest, head to justhandspoker.com/experiences. Uh, that link is also in the show notes. If you're unable to attend our event, uh, we understand it's in Akron. Uh, please still send us your hands. There will be a place in the form to indicate whether you're interested in being considered for the grand prize. And if you're not available for the event, you can still be considered for the second place prize, which means you get to come on the show with Zach and I. All right. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's hand.
1: Hello, Jack.
0: Hello, Zach. How you doing?
1: Doing good. Feeling even better, though, because it's not just us today. We got uh, Just Hands no, Poker special it contributor Jonathan C. Metz on the Skype. How you doing, man?
2: I'm great, man. How you doing?
1: Doing, doing pretty good. Got a, got a good night's sleep last night, so no complaints. That's good to hear. <laughs> uh, so this hand was a hand that I played at the same table as John on th- Wednesday last week. Um, this was a 2-5 no-limit game running at the Jack Casino in Cleveland. Uh, for all of our listeners out there not intimately familiar with the Jack... Uh, first off, I'm jealous, and second, every every Wednesday for the last few months, <laughs> they've run a promotion where every half hour, they give away $500 from 12 to 6 p.m. Uh, as a high hand promotion, so as a result, the games are particularly juicy and free-flowing Wednesday afternoons, uh, and 2.5 No Limit probably wouldn't have been running on a normal day, uh, but this was about 4 o'clock and there was a table of, like, seven people. I just got there, and then, yeah, John was there for a little bit before me. John, you want to tell listeners a little bit about the table dynamics and some of the players there?
2: Uh, Yeah, sure. It was, I mean, it was a great game. Uh, there were two really big spots in particular. One was this older, uh, middle-aged, uh, really stationy white guy who just... Uh, You know, love couldn't get away from, you know, a a lot of his hands pre-flop, just had way too wide of a pre-flop range. I saw him show up with hands like 9-3 suited and like just total garbage. And then, like, another middle-aged, either Indian or Middle Eastern man who was playing, who was a villain in this hand, and who uh, was playing a pretty, it's seemingly pretty loose-aggressive, although he wasn't showing down. A lot of hands he had only shown down. I think one bluff, and Zach, you hadn't even really seen that. I just like texted you real quick right when you got to the table. But uh, yeah. And then the rest of the table is pretty much just recreational, typical, loose, passive uh, players. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, the hand that I played here, a lot of it was based off the kind of the little text you sent me, John. And I'm gonna pull that up right now. Yeah. So. So my playoff this hand was based on this this text here. Quote, dude on my right has been playing hyper-laggy, but has only shown down one bluff where he two-barreled. Regularly uses large opening sizes like 30 to 40. So I sat down and I think I started my first hand like in the cutoff. It was like eight-handed. And I folded every hand until under the gun when I opted to limp the king-queen offsuit, and in terms of stack sizes, this guy had way over a 1,000. I started with 500, as I like to do in a 200-big-blind cap game, but then after kind of seeing this text and seeing some other hands played and uh, realizing that a guy two to my right who I played with before was pretty bad, uh, I quickly added on another 500. So at this hand, the stack sizes are a 1,000 effective. And I, I opt to limp, limp king-queen offsuit, under the gun, and I, I do this for a few reasons. One, to set myself up for a profitable limp re-raising position. Um, in terms of the way the table was organized, two to my left was the kind of middle-aged white guy, really stationy, like limp calling, a really wide range. And the um, then the hyper-lucky guy was right next to him, and then John was two off there. I f- it felt like both John and this villain would likely be isoing kind of cor- you know correctly wide uh, this you know initial limper so i i thought that i'd have a pretty profitable limp re-raise against both of those players if they were to make it you know 20 25 or 30 above this guy's limp um and i also uh, based on what this um john's text was if this villain was playing you know hyper laggy while king queen offsuit does do well against their, you know, fairly loose three betting range. What would I imagine would be a fairly loose three betting range? It would be a pretty difficult spot to be out of position uh, when I get three bet with a king queen offsuit. So, what do you what do you guys think about the the going to limp re raise based on these reads? So
0: let me let me just recap. Uh, you're limping because you expect this person to raise you. And then you want to three bed them or you expect someone. Did you say you expect someone to limp behind and then that's the person they will be trying to isolate? Or you think they'll be trying to isolate you?
1: The person behind me, they'll be trying to isolate. So the person that John said, like show will has shown up with nine, three suited in a raised pot. I've observed like seven hands and this guy has limped about five of them. And he was, he was two to my left. And then it was this, this hyper laggy guy and John directly to their left. So I thought that like if I limp and then this guy limps the vast majority of the time, I think there is a decent, a decent chance of one of these two players raising. And I think given that they're going to be raising pretty wide, given how, uh, why that middle player is limping, I'm going to have a profitable limp re-raise.
0: Well, it sounds like you might even have a better limp call. Uh, because
1: then I, get I mean, to especially keep the, against,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't know how that player is necessarily going to respond to your three bet, uh, even though you're, you can be pretty confident that he's raising wide and that you'll be ahead of that range when you call. I think when some other players at this table raise, uh, you would have a more profitable limp three bet. But against that player that you're describing as like a hyper lag, uh, I think you'd be better off calling ahead of what, knowing you're ahead of that range rather than three betting. And not knowing exactly what happens when you three bet that player.
1: Yeah, I think thinking about this more, also when I limp re raise, I get that player, you know, he had about 500 short the hand who will show up with 9 3 suited or something. Uh, I kind of kick him out of the pot. So kind of thinking about right. it more, I think I actually think I really like limp calling because I think a hyper lag, like, is likely to, uh, you know, maybe raise. Raise hands that he wouldn't have called and under the gun open with, you know?
2: Yeah. No, I, I kind of like limp calling too. I, I also think, like, when you limp three bet, uh, I'm not positive, like, certain how the laggy player is going to react, but I think, like, you're going to get him to fold a lot of the hands you want him to be in the pot with, like a lot of hands you have dominated.
1: Yeah. 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 Yes, yeah, so that was, I think, I think we all agree that was a bit of a mistake, but. In game, the the middle-aged uh, white guy loose loose player limped, and then this laggy player made it thirty, and it's folded back to me with the effective stack of a thousand dollars, and I opt to make it a hundred ten. The player in the middle quickly folds. This guy thinks for a little bit and calls. So then we're to the flop. Uh, after the rake, there is two hundred twenty-five dollars in the pot. And the flop is Ace Queen Seven, Rainbow. Mm-hmm. So before I say what I'm I'm gonna do, uh, what do you guys what are you guys thinking? The best play is here. I think it's a pretty clear check.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: Um,
2: it's kind of like a way I hide way behind kind of situation, and I think like I mean the uh, laggy guy's gonna bluff a lot, which we want, and we have a pretty strong bluff catcher. So I say we go ahead and let him do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree.
1: Okay, so yeah, I think it was a pretty clear check too. I opted to check. This guy bet two hundred sixty into a pot of two hundred twenty-five, um, and then I think, you know, I I think against some players I'd be able to make an exploitable fold here. But given just the reads that I had from John and everything, I think it was a pretty clear check call.
0: Uh, I I don't know. I I would definitely consider folding here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're basically I mean, I think the player that you're optimistically, you know, hoping is going to bet this uh, wide is likely going to continue on the turn. So you're basically committed to putting in your whole stack, you know, hoping that, that this is a player who's going to be doing this, you know, so wide that you'll overcome all the aces that they have in their range that aren't likely to play this way.
1: I well. I think if I check call the flop, I'm not committed to check calling blank turns. I, even though this player, you know, has John described as hyper laggy, he's only shown on one bluff. The sense that I got is that you know he's playing he's playing too wide, he's playing really loose, but that he he has some you know amount of basic poker competency. And if you know I limp limp re raise and then check call an ace high flop, I don't think he's just going to barrel off with air on the turn. So yeah, I, I feel pretty confident check calling one street thinking that I'm ahead of his overbetting range here and then you know check folding on on turns where I don't improve.
0: I just I think it's a little optimistic you know, so the effective stack is 500 right?
1: 1000.
2: 1k yeah.
0: Oh the effective stack is 1k hold on let me think a little bit more about this then
2: yeah I guess in game I didn't re- I wasn't I guess paying enough attention I didn't actually realize this was an over bet um which is kind of interesting because I hadn't seen him do this. not that you would know anything about – or I mean, that doesn't really mean much to you because you haven't played with him at all. But, uh, yeah, I'm kind of – I mean, it's close for sure. I'm leaning towards just check, fold, the flop because, like you said, Zach, like this guy, I mean, he's not just clicking buttons. Like I don't think he's just going to show up with complete air here. I think like – I don't know. I just think his overbetting range is probably weighted more towards aces than whatever, like a gut shot or just total air. So maybe check-folding is best, but I don't think check-calling can be a huge mistake. And also just, I mean, with the little bit of information I've given you, I understand like why you would check-call here for sure.
0: I just think there's a, a lot of aces in this player's range.
2: Yeah, uh, I think so.
0: And I think... A player like this is very likely to bet the majority of their aces when you check to them on this flop, and so I think the the amount of air this player has to be betting in order to counter that, my instinct is that it's it's unlikely, and I'm also not, you know, when this player is uh, over bluffing, you know, are they likely to continue over bluffing on the turn? Or are they likely to bet a balanced range on the turn? Or very, it's just the turn is going to leave us in a bad spot. Uh, and I, I think it's, you know, unlikely that when we call, he just gives up enough that we're going to be able to realize our equity. You know, that is if his range is bluff heavy enough in the first place for us to be calling.
1: Yeah, I, I understand that. I I thought about it in game for a little bit. Uh, for what it's worth, he bet the two sixty pretty quickly. Um... And my thoughts in game were just that, you know, when I limp re-raise here and an ace flops, and someone is playing kind of loose-aggressive, a younger kid just sat at the table, kind of limp re-raised him, uh, and then checks on this ace-high flop, I think in this guy's position kind of getting inside his head, he might be like, okay, well, if I over the ace, he's going to have to fold all of his worst pairs. So I I, th- I thought it was a reasonable assumption that he'd be over bluffing the flop, and you know, under-bluff under, under bluff the turn.
0: I just don't... I think that's just too optimistic. And I think the timing tell actually doesn't really... That's not consistent for me. Like... Oh, no, I'm not saying that, what do you that, think that, is, that means he's
1: more bluff-heavy. I just wanted to add it in there. I don't, I don't think it... You can... I mean, I, I personally don't think that leans it either way a little bit. I just wanted to see if, if you thought it might.
0: I actually think it leans it more towards an ace because yeah. I think it's more likely for a player to... You know, instinctually bet on ace when check to, than to instinctually, you know, just be like, oh, well, now I have to bluff, now I have yeah. to overbet bluff.
2: Yeah, I, I agree just think that's that.
0: way more likely. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think I think I would definitely would have folded, but yeah, I mean, you could be right. You called. What happened on the turn?
1: I called. So I hit a queen on the turn for three queens. Um... <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> pretty nice. So. You know, I, I thought, obviously, he was over-bluffing on the flop. So, I think when I hit this card on the turn, I'm not going to just completely change, you know, that and just hope he had Ace-King and then bet into him. So, I opted to go for, you know, to, to check call
0: again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a clear check. Like, I, mean, I, know, I would consider behind. betting
1: small, but... Like, I think the two options are, like, checking no, and betting I, small.
0: I don't like betting small since you're denying him the opportunity to continue his bluff. Yeah, I think yep. it's a clear check. Yep, I'm thinking check too.
1: Okay, so yeah, and by the way, betting small wouldn't be for value. It would be to you know induce with his with his bluffs, not you know to deny him the opportunity.
0: Right. And he might. He could easily continue to bet an ace for value. I don't think it's necessarily obvious that you have a lot of queens in your range. I mean, we both thought you should have folded a queen. Yeah. So you very easily continue betting a hand like ace-king, ace-jack, ace-ten.
1: Yeah, so the turn goes check-check, and I think he he checks behind pretty quickly. I guess the guy just kind of plays quickly. And then the river is an eight. So the final board is ace-queen-seven, queen-eight. So... It's basically a pure blank. There's about 750 in the pot and I have a little over 500 in my stack. So what what do you think is the best the best play here, John? Um uh I think betting something
2: It's hard because I mean I'm I'm definitely biased because I saw the results, but I think I would probably opt to bet like well, maybe just shoving. I don't know. I was gonna say like four hundred, um, value targeting his ASAC hands, but I'm not sure how much like he's. I mean, it might just be the kind of thing where he's gonna call you down with that. Well, I don't know. Four hundred might not be a difference. Might might not make a huge difference. But or might not be a huge difference between just shoving online. So, sorry, you said your stack was five hundred. Yeah, a little over five hundred dollars. Yeah. I mean betting small to induce definitely has some merit too. But we're just losing so much value when he has an ace hand because I don't think he's ever going to go crazy and raise like if you bet like really small like 150 or 200. Um so I'm going I like shoving. Yeah.
0: I think I personally like checking. My first thought was to bet small. Uh I definitely think shoving is okay if we we think that this player has a lot of aces. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with just putting him to the test, seeing if he can fold an ace. I worry that when this player checked behind quickly, they lost a lot of the aces in their range. But I think that when we check again, a lot of those aces are likely to bet if they're there. But I think more importantly yeah, so Zach, I trust your instincts. I mean, if you thought this player was bluffing enough on the flop that it was worth calling, then I think that a decent amount of those bluffs are still in this player's river range. you know, maybe he decided not to continue in the turn, especially with not a great card coming for a bluff. But I think that when you if you check here, a lot of those hands will decide to continue bluffing, you know, knowing that there's probably no other way that they can win. I also think that some of those aces that might have checked back the turn uh, will decide to value bet on the river here. So I think rather than betting small to induce a bluff and then almost guaranteeing that we're only getting calls from those aces, I'd rather have the aces set the price. I think based on this person's betting patterns, it's likely that the you know bet those aces will make is higher than what we would have bet to induce bluffs. Uh, and so I think we'll have better success inducing bluffs and we'll get more value from aces, especially if those aces Turn around and decide to call our jam uh, once they bet. So yeah, I prefer checking.
1: Yeah, I, I really like that logic. And in retrospect, after that, I wrote this hand down, because one, I just thought was an interesting hand. You know, kind of read list going off basically a text from John, uh, opting to play king queen a little bit un- unconventionally. Uh, but yeah, what really got me, you know, up at night was my decision to bet small here as kind of like a a multifaceted bet like one part to make sure I don't lose any value from the aces that might opt to check behind on the river again and to try to induce. And I bet 200 and he thought for about 30 seconds and called and I didn't see his hand. But in retrospect, I really like checking because you know, he will check behind maybe his like ACE 10 or ACE Jack some percentage of the time, but I think he'll also bet it some percentage of the time. And like you said, based on this guy's betting patterns and using larger sizings, like that price is going to be a lot more, than what I would bet to get him to induce and probably checking will induce more than actually betting small even if you know um, yeah even if I get less the f- from when he from when I check call a bluff versus bet calling a bluff he'll just be bluffing there I think with such a higher frequency it'll be more profitable so yeah I, in retrospect I definitely like uh, checking
0: the river there Jack I also think if I were to bet small to induce a bluff I would probably choose a slightly smaller sizing mm-hmm. uh but yeah, yeah I, I think it's. I would prefer just a, che- a check anyway.
2: I would definitely use smaller sizing too to induce. I mean, I th- I think when you bet two hundred, like he's not gonna think he has. I mean, and only and you only have three hundred behind. He's not gonna think he has very much, if any, fold equity. So yeah, yeah, yeah you're right.
0: <clears throat> um, yeah, it's sort of a polarizing like bet sizing spot. Like I think we accomplished the most in terms of getting this player to bet their aces. And a bl- and a bluff. The lower we bet, and conversely, uh, if we decide we just want to value target aces, I don't think his calling range is elastic enough that we shouldn't just shove. So, I think it's sort of a choice of shove or check.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, and depending on how many bluffs and how many aces we think this player has, you know, we'll sort of inform that.
2: Yeah. One one thing I want to say, I think one of you guys said. I'm not sure which one of you, but uh, that A lot of the aces fell out of his range when he checked the turn, and I really don't think that's true. Like, I think, with the exception maybe of Ace King, I think this player is probably going to check maybe all of his aces on the turn. I think he's going to kind of think it's going to be hard to get called by worse. I mean, what hand can he put you on that he's going to value target on the turn, but like with an ace, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that's logically correct. I guess I, I'm just hearing that this person's like a hyper lag and thinking that they are going to be betting some of their aces just because they, yeah. they have an ace.
2: I mean, he probably, yeah, maybe. But he's also like, I mean, I guess Zach didn't know this, but I mean, I didn't think he would, like, he, he certainly wasn't, again, I mean, I said this before, but he wasn't just like, I, I mean. Yeah. He no logic, like, he's, he's, he's somewhat competent, it seems. I didn't think he was going to bet, bet any ace here, but I, I could be wrong. You know, I mean, I only played with him for an hour or so, so my sample is definitely small.
1: And then I think what also was informing my bet on the river in retrospect was just that like, I think limp re-raising is just generally so nutted in live poker. um, That check calling a flop like that. I think even, even if he is like a really laggy guy might kind of, you know, especially check calling an overbet. My like if he had an ace, I can feel like oh shit! Like what is he calling me here with? You know, like how strong is this guy? Is he playing a set this way? Like what? You know what is he? I I really kind of have like the one, you know, like bluff catcher here. You know, mm. that that's in well. Opinion. No, I think you have. Well, I guess I have oh, suit. I think you might have kings. Yeah, kings, right? Yeah, king, kings, king, queen, and like some suit aces.
0: I think you're giving this guy too much credit. Yeah. Like, if he if he thought you were totally nutted, he wouldn't have bluffed the flop. You know. Yeah. No. And yeah. he probably wouldn't. Yeah. So it just doesn't really make sense that he would be thinking that that, given the way he played the hand.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: All right. Cool. <laughs> uh, and you, you said you didn't see what he had, but he did call.
1: Yeah. So I I don't I don't know I mean I I would guess that he has an ace, but you know I also bet kind of small so who knows yeah no, he had, he so had, I guess
0: there's just no way should, could have been sick if so he we, like we called the uh, tens
1: and just like no no I, maybe but I doubt it
0: <laughs> so I guess to recap a uh, limp call pre flop. Limp check fold Limp the re-raise. flop oh oh, oh. <laughs> uh, these are the things we <laughs> should have done oh right. okay mistakes he made check fold <laughs> the flop uh we like the turn and then I think the, the leading candidate was check the river
1: well I got one out of four things right
0: <laughs> it worked out I think you probably got close to max value yeah
1: right
2: yeah
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright cool